review as well. And, um, and then from there, just look at where we're going to go forward for next week and the week after. I believe we should finish up uh, this chapter over the next two weeks, be done and dusted with a series. So I think that gives us about 12, 11 or 12 parts uh, in the lesson. Amen. And uh, so we're going to, I'm glad that we finished where we finished last week because I wanted to spend a little more time uh, in uh, these verses here, especially when we're looking at verses 15 and 16 here in just a little bit. So let's open our Bible to 2 Peter chapter 2 this morning, 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, we're going to be looking uh, this morning, verses 13 through 16. Again, the first front end of it is a little bit of review and repeat from the tail end of last week. 2 Peter 2, verse 13 says, And and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, as they that count it pleasure to ride in the daytime. Spots they are in blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Have an eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practice. Cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again for the time uh, it is to be here today. We thank you, Lord, for a, uh, for a building. Lord, we even thank you that, that you've given us the protection from the elements, Lord. I understand uh, a bit cold this morning, we, but Father, I just pray we let it not be a distraction. Uh, give us the guidance, direction, mercy we need to better and best serve you. And Lord, open up the doors of understanding, Lord, clarity of thought uh, as we continue to uh, to dig inside Second Peter, Father. Uh, Lord, I pray as far along as we have come today uh, that people, Lord, who have, have partaken in this series would wake up, switch on, and get their hearts and lives right with you. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And amen. So as uh, just to review real quick, both Peter and Jude, when you look at Second Peter chapter 2 and the book of Jude, they're saying roughly the same things concerning the false teachers. They're saying the things, and it just, they're saying it not only for their day, uh, but for our day as well. And again, I understand uh, the soft, weak mindset that we have today, and that's just the way it is. I, I, know I preached on Alphas on Sunday night uh, at Calvary, and I addressed this very same issue. Uh, men are very weak today. They're just weak. Uh, and I'm just going to make it very plain, uh, very simple spoken. Uh, they're, they're weak today, and uh, women are stronger than men in so many other ways today because they've had to be because men have just sat back and become weak. They're mealy-mouthed, they're indecisive, they're weak in their lives, and this is what we find. Now, again, we have good people that are weak-minded. This is a whole different aspect right here. These are apostates, guys. These are not good people. Uh, they are not saved people. And uh, when you read and we begin to look like, uh, you know, the, the previous verse, you know, they're, they're as brute beasts the Lord likens them unto. He says they're made to be destroyed, all right? That's what brute beasts are. And that is a very harsh reality and harsh statement to make in our soft-minded world. But the reality is these apostates are slaying souls. They are deceiving billions of people into a devil's hell every single day. They are dangerous in all matters of life. So when Jude writes his letter, and again, as, as we've already mentioned throughout this series, Second Peter 2 and Jude, they really coincide one with another. Uh, you could have actually thought one was in one room, the other was in the other room, yelling back and forth when we were writing the letters. They, they just run together so uh, well. But Jude, again, 
wanted to write that letter of the common salvation, and we all want to do that, you know. Uh, as church plant missionaries, we have to write an update letter and a prayer letter. We always want to, we want to write something positive. We want to encourage the supporters and all of those who read our letters. We want to say, praise the Lord, you're great, man. I'm so great to be saved and born again. And, and man, this common salvation is great. But the reality is, every month or every other month, whenever the letter's written, there's not always something positive to say. You understand? There's, I mean, I get it. There's always a, a grace. There's always faith. There's always a blessing. But at the same time, guys, the mission field, the ministry day is war. And again, you don't get saved and born again and try to opt out. There are no conscientious objectors in, uh, in Christ. You're either serving God or you're not serving God. And, and that's what we have to understand. That's what we're looking here. And Jude's like, man, I want to write a letter to you. I want to encourage you in the faith. I want us to have sweet fellowship together. This is what I want to do. And the Holy Spirit intervened. He said, no, that's not what you're going to write, okay? Uh, you're going to write about earnestly contending for the faith. And uh, again, you know, that word which means to struggle for a thing, to agonize, he told Jude. Peter's going through the very same thing as he's pinning 2 Peter chapter 2. Now, last week we ended the service with the fact of where our population is today. As of the 15th of November, uh, last Monday or the Monday week ago, uh, our world hit 8 billion people. And when you look at the numbers, and we understand, historically speaking, as, population, as the population has continued to grow, and it's, again, it's, it's, it's grown exponentially, uh, we understand. Uh, from A.D. 30, in the year that Jesus Christ was crucified, by gi- given way the direction the world has gone, gone, only 67% of the world's population has heard a clear presentation of the gospel since A.D. 30. That's 5, that's five uh, billion, 360 million souls today who will never hear a clear presentation of the gospel. And I know it sounds insane. It sounds nuts in a world that is so connected, a world that is uh, seemingly so small today. But I come back to the idea of what I've said last week is a clear presentation. The false teaching, the deceptions that are going on in our world today by these apostates and where they thrive and what they do and how they hold people in bondage to a false doctrine. This is where they lead and this is where they deceive. So look with me in verse 13 real quick. Verse 13 tells us that they will receive the reward, okay? Uh, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. Uh, the judgment, guys, just like their predecessors. Uh, again, we, we've discussed it in great detail. We don't need to uh, discuss it anymore. They are going to be judged. But I want you to look at the latter part of verse 13. The Bible says that the spots they are, spots they are. And, and notice the very end of it where it says, feast with you, Okay. Spots they are, and who are these? They feast with you. Apostates masquerade as Christians, deceiving those around them, even themselves, and they become spots among the truly born again, the truly saved, true and, and real Christianity. They are a blemish, a mark, uh, a mark upon real Christianity, spots and blemishes. Now, again, when we talk about, all of us have spots and blemishes. Some of us got freckles, we have scars, we have this and that. We're not perfect in any of any any sense of the matter. So to the modern eye, to the modern weak, simple eye today, when they read that, they go, well, what's the big deal about a spot? What's the big deal about a blemish? Well, remember in the Old Testament when the lamb had, the lamb spent three days being inspected by the priest. 
They even lifted the eyelids up and peeled the eyelids back to make sure there wasn't a freckle or a mark or a spot on the eyelid. It had to be a perfect lamb given for the sacrifice every year. Jesus Christ was, in, was inspected in the same period of time, do you understand? He was inspected. He reviewed. What did Pontius Pilate say? I found no fault in the man. Crucify him, crucify him, they called out. So spots and blemishes, guys, are always a reference to uncleanness, okay? Uh, the leprosy that you find. Uh, I'm preaching Saturday night on, uh, out of Luke 17 on, on those lepers, on those 10 lepers. But this leprosy, you know, there's a spot, there's a rising, if you will. So in the context that we find here, uh, these, these contexts are always going to be in reference to uncleanness. We see that in verse 10 of 2 Peter but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. This is the plot of Satan. This is what he does. He does not, again, I said this last week, he does not hate religion, but in fact, he loves religion. He hates Christianity. So look there with me, if you will, in the rest of this verse. Spots they are in blemishes, verse 13, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. That phrase, sporting themselves, if I was to ask you today, what do you think that means? What does sporting themselves mean? And, and I have asked people that, and people have told me, well, it means they just walk around uh, pridefully, and they walk around like this, and they're boasting. That's not what it means. Sporting themselves means to live in luxury. So in their deceivings, in their power, in their control, in their false doctrinal teachings, guys, these apostates live in a lap of luxury. You see, look around to the apostates, guys, and again, uh, the ones, honestly, by now, in lesson number nine, I think we're in lesson number nine, you should be able to peg an apostate to the, to the wall by now. You should be able to peg them, you should be able to decipher who and what they are, according to the doctrine that they hold to, the doctrine they, they teach by allowing a scripture to answer scripture. But you can weigh them in the balances today, and you can mark them those who are deceiving billions, but then look how they live. Look at the control the Vatican has. Look at the money the Vatican has. Look at the, uh, the basilicas, the cathedrals that the Anglicans build, and all of this pomp, and all of this glory, if you will. They live in luxury. They sport themselves while they feast with you. And I understand, guys, we're not sitting down to the table with an apostate. We don't have apostates in here with us here this morning. We don't. It's not what it's talking about. It's because they're at here. They're attaching like a parasite to the label of the name Christian. And it makes us all guilty by association. In the world's eyes, mind you, let me say that, in the world's eyes. So the world links the apostates who are sporting themselves with their own deceivings to true Christianity. And therefore what happens, they become a spot a blemish, an unclean entity causing further deception of what truly a Christian is. How many of us in here have ever heard this statement, a reference about whatever it may be? They say, if that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Who do you think they're referring to? Do you think they're referring to those who are living a life according to the word of God? who are treating their fellow man better than themselves, who esteem others better than themselves, who pray for someone who's there at any time they beck and call, who sacrifice their life and their time to help someone they're going to get nothing back from. Do you think that's who they're referring to? No. They're referring to these clowns in dresses. 
They're referring to these people who refuse to make a definition and take a stand on biblical Christianity. They're referring to what you see today as apostates and who have been around for the last 1,500 years, tearing and destroying the name of Jesus Christ. The rest of our verses, Revelation, I'm sorry, not Revelation, but 2 Peter 2. We're about to go to Revelation, that's why I said that. 2 Peter 2, verses 12 through 16 is one sentence. If you, if you look at that, you notice the punctuation mark. It's one sentence. It's a continual and detailed description of who and what an apostate is, as well as what their end will be. The comparison continues into verse 15 and 16, which is vitally important for us to understand, and it refers to the doctrine of Balaam. Look there in verses 15 and 16. He says, Who hath forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Asor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. The doctrine of Balaam is the doctrine of covetousness and lust. And you can mix greed in there as well. The entire event with Balaam and what took place there in Moab uh, is found in Numbers 22 through 25, chapters 22 through 25. But where I want, you to t- I want to take you, and I want you to see the connection of verses 15 and 16 to where it is today, uh, is to Revelation in chapter 2 with me today. Revelation in chapter 2. So scoot on over to Revelation 2. We've looked at one of these verses before. And so, again, we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And again, like I said, you should be able to do that uh, definitely by now. But rightly dividing the word of truth, understanding what it is and what's being said here. Revelation 2, look down with me in verse 12. And again, I would mark this, if you will. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, these things saith he, uh, he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, Thou holdest fast my name, and, and, uh, and hast not denied my faith, even those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of, of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, Repent or else, I will come unto, unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth saving, saving he that receiveth it. So the church of Pergamos, guys, we've talked about this in times past, but it means, the word Pergamos means marriage. And what occurred during this time frame, guys, was an unlawful marriage, a spiritual adultery, if you will. Pergamos, uh, the Pergamian church age ran from A.D. 325 to A.D. 500, which right after the close of this church age brings about immediately uh, the Dark Ages. That which was produced was a thousand-year Dark Age uh, from 500 to 1500 A.D. Um, so in Pergamos, with Constantine as emperor, since he could not destroy Christianity, in 327 A.D., he formed the State Church Union, a marriage, if you will. Hence, the Pergamon Church Age is an adulterous church age. And this was the establishment of the Catholic institution. So what he did was everything that was pagan Rome, he converted to what we call today papal Rome. 
everything that was pagan Rome, he just gave it a Christian name. You know, from Zeus to God, if you will, to, you know, Bacchus to Andrew. I'm just throwing names out there at, at will right now. That's what he did. They, they, they stole Peter and said that he was the first pope of the church at Rome. Peter never set foot in Rome. We have no record that he was in Rome. Uh, the, the verse they use is where Peter says, uh, you know, the saints at Babylon salute thee, but they refuse to be called the mystery Babylon from the book of Revelation. But when Peter salutes uh, uh, the saints of Babylon salute those that he's writing to, they say, oh, no, 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 that's Rome right there. That's Rome. You see, they, they just butcher the scriptures. They are liars. They are apostates. They are. Revelation chapter 2, verse 15 again says, So hast thou also them that hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And Jesus says, Which thing I hate. The same thing is true, guys. Nico uh, is a transliteration from Nicoa, which means to conquer. That's what Nico means, okay? Laetans or laity comes from the, uh, the Greek word laos, which means lay people. What does that mean? What is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? To conquer the lay people. What happens? The elders, the bishops, whomever it may be, these that have bought into the, uh, the, the adulterous union between state and church, forming the Catholic institution, what do they do? They begin to conquer the lay people. How do they conquer the lay people? They conquer them through false doctrine and false teaching. I mean, he... Constantine even said, even told the pagans, you can keep your festivals, but bring them in, we Christianize them. Such as changing uh, All Souls Day, which was the day they prayed unto the dead, which was uh, the 1st of November. It was preceded by All Hallows Eve, or Swahim, which was a Celtic pagan uh, festival to pray it unto the dead, where sacrifices of humans were performed. And then all of a sudden they changed it from All Souls Day to All Saints Day, you see, and things like that. So the deeds, guys, if you will, later on known as the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, would be to conquer the lay people. And in context, you find that the clergy were conquering or ruling over the laity, and these deeds are the works that, that make the clergy of that day a special class of people, a special priesthood completely violating the doctrine of which we hold of priesthood of believers, okay, that they became uh, the, the vicariously entity, the vicarious entity that you needed to go through in order to get to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, come and get in the name later on, uh, vicar, if you will, okay? They are the priest, and you are the lay people, therefore you must go see the man in the box, kiss the man with the robe and the ring, in order to get your blessings to heaven. All of that is anti-scriptural to the T. We today are saved and born again. We are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And it is that Holy Spirit gives us access to the heavens today. We are a royal priesthood, every saved individual this morning. So the deeds of Nicolaitans was, was not to rule the people spiritually, but to conquer them. Something, again, the, the clergy were not supposed to do. A select group of priests were not supposed to conquer the people, and God hates it, he says. The doctrine is devised to conquer the people, to mold and shape the lay people into control, and to lure them into what is a devilish doctrine. And this is the same doctrine that is still being used today over 1,500 years later. Okay, All of one reason, guys, to rule the people. This is what Jude says. Jude says that he rules. I don't think I have it up there. Actually, I don't. Jude says in order that they rule... Uh, they rule with fiend words. Jude 16 says, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouths speak of great swelling words, having men's person in admiration because of advantage. They're walking in their own lust, if you will. It's linked to the doctrine of Balaam. We just went to Revelation chapter 2, but when the Lord Jesus Christ says in verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, 
who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So in Numbers chapters 22 through 25, Israel are pitched, they have pitched their tents in the plains of Moab. Moab refusing to allow them to cut through their nation, if you will. King Balak went to, uh, went to Balaam, who was a prophet of God, but he was a wicked prophet. And he wanted, he, he wanted Balaam to curse the people. And every time he opened his mouth, God blessed him. And he did this two or three times. Balak got upset with Balaam and says, what are you doing? And because of that, he could not, he couldn't curse him. But Balaam was smart. He was cunning. He said, I'll tell you what, he loved the pleasure of unrighteousness. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. And what happens is I'll teach you how you can get God to kill himself. You guys know that story. And so uh, we find that he, they formed a feast. The feast is called Baal Peor. Uh, they, they caused them to, to drink alcohol. They drank the wine. Uh, they brought fair ladies before them. And uh, what ended up happening was the men committed fornication. It resulted in 24,000 people dying in Israel. But I want you, here's what I want you to pay attention to. We're going to look in Numbers chapter 25. I'm going to put it on the screen just for time's sake. But I want you to notice the brazenness, the openness, the pridefulness of their sin and what happens and why that's important for us to understand today. Numbers 25 and verse 5 through 9, 5 through 9 that's on there, it says, And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay you every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a many a nice woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel, and those that died in the plague were 20 and 4,000. Now, here's what's interesting. This man was so bold, so daring, if you will, so audacious. Was that not the characteristics we talked about last week with these apostates, daring men, remember? Audacious, prideful, arrogant. You see, he walked right past Moses. The man of God, all right? He walked right past the whole congregation. He walked right past all of those that were, were weeping and crying for the sins of Israel before the door of the tabernacle. And he went on about his business saying, I ain't hiding anything. I'm doing it right here, right now. So what's interesting is how open they were with their vile sin. Something we see a rise of today, do we not? What used to be barely spoken of sin in secret behind closed doors people are openly performing in the streets full of prideful acts and vile wickedness as a matter of fact they've gone so far now that it's not even something that they're doing in the streets but they openly speak of it in the offices and they're teaching our young people in the schools perverts they are I'll give you a second thing that's important for us to understand concerning these apostates and how the Lord says these apostates hold the doctrine of Balaam and how it's linked to where we find today the doctrine of Balaam among the apostates deceiving so many people 
And what is important about who it was that so brazenly walked by Moses with this Midianite woman. Numbers 25, verses 14 and 15, the Bible is particular to say, now the name of this Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with a Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a prince of a chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman, now I'm going to stop there just for a second. How many people here know the name of the Syrophoenician woman who came before Jesus Christ and said, true Lord, but you know what? Dogs make a meal out of those crumbs. Don't know it, do you? What about that woman in Sychar, John chapter 4, one of the most prevalent events in all of, the, all of, of Christ's earthly ministry? What was her name? Don't know it, do we? As a matter of fact, Luke uses the word certain more than any other author. 99 times he uses it between, in the Gospels of Luke and, and, uh, and the book of Acts. What's the name of the city that the ten lepers were healed in? Anybody know it? It's a city called Certain. <laughs> a certain city. Didn't name it. That's a big event, isn't it? That's a, mass, that's a bigger event than we think. You know, you know that event with that stranger, that Samaritan who came back and said, you know, hey, hey, Lord, thank you. You know that event is linked to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the promise? It's a big event, isn't it? We don't know the name of that city, do we? Matter of fact, what about the other leper that was healed, that Jesus healed him, said, go show yourself a priest? Earlier in the book of Luke, what was the name of that city? We don't know, certain city. I'm saying that for a particular reason. There is a reason God has given us, number one, the name. 24,000 were killed, mind you. And out of the 24,000, he decides to give us two names. The last two. The name of the Midianite woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head over a people and of a chief of the house of Midian. These were the people of position, guys, both in the pagans and the Israelites. A prince and a princess, if you will. A son and a daughter of heads and chief over people. You understand? Responsibility they had. Character they should have had. And the Lord tells us this for a reason. The Lord is linking the apostates today that it's not, it's, not just, it's not just people that are unknown that are being deceived and deceiving and committing this wickedness today and have fallen prey to the doctrine of Balaam, but it's people who are in power, if you will. People with pre- preeminence, if you will. Positions, if you will. I'm going to say responsibility. Beloved, we are a royal priesthood. We have a position in heaven. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors on this earth. And when the world sees us live, how we live, how we carry ourselves, how we labor, how we look, how we talk, Christ is joined with that. Apostates, they are who they are. They've rejected the way of Christ. They labor to replace his word. They live in a manner that is contrary to scriptures. And they become spots and blemishes of biblical, true Christianity. But to the lost world, there isn't any difference. 
And again, judgment awaits them at the deepest degree. I believe it with all my heart. The Bible's clear about that. The thought that we need to understand for us today is that we must take a stand, be counted for, serve the Lord with gladness, show forth his praises, live the word of God, not just in a tick list standard of having the right color tie your hair parted on the right side or the right dress. Beloved, if your Christianity is summed up in your dress code and you can't get off your soapbox of that, you are shallow as a mud puddle. You need to get off the milk and get on the meat. Not against dress. I'm not against that. I think there should be standards, Christian standards of how we dress. Yes, sir. But my goodness, man, if you're harping on that every Sunday and Wednesday and whatever other night, you know, you're shallow as a mud puddle. Let's stand on biblical truth, guys. Rebuke the apostates to the core. Be not afraid to stand on biblical truth. And by all means, as I just said, let's get off the milk and let's get on the meat. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for this time together. I pray that you would bless the, uh, the rest of this week, Lord. Bless the rest of this day. Forgive us of where we have failed you. But Lord, my prayer goes out to each and every one of us this morning that if we will, Help us be a representative of you in this world, no matter where we may be, no matter what we may be doing. Let our moderation be known unto all men and all women in this world today. Let a balanced and healthy life, living according to the scriptures, Father, be seen amongst men, women, and children. Let it be known, Father, that we stand on the truth. But, Father, we don't have to use a drum to bang it around. Let us stay away from soapbox issues. But, Lord, I pray those that are annihilating the word of God, those that are butchering it, those that are making mockery of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we would rebuke them, that in strong contrast, the world would see the difference between us and the apostates among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Aberamon. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel, and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall, and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today, by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death,
but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, for bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.